0: Please join me in Joshua this morning, Joshua chapter 7 is where we'll find our passage. The other day when I preached on Sunday morning, I've never had so many people come up to me and say how much they enjoyed the sermon as I had that day, and it was not necessarily that it was theologically based or that uh, it was uh, so powerful or dynamic. I think probably the thing most people enjoyed about it was, Brother Andrew, that was just the perfect amount of time. I mean, 20 minutes and we were out, that was great. I tell you, we, we were that was good. So I had a bunch of folks come up to me and pre, uh, tell me they were appreciative of that. And so this morning, I'm going to make up for that. I can't have you all enjoying church too much. So I'm looking 55 minutes today. Last, I think it was last week or two weeks ago, my family got out of church, and we were uh, going to some of the restaurants around town looking for a seat. We went to uh, Outback at first, and the Outback told us it's going to be an hour and a half way. And as we said, well, that's a little bit longer than we want to wait. So uh, um, we went over to Olive Garden, I think it were, uh, yeah, o- Olive Garden or Red Lobster. And they said it was going to be uh, 45 minutes and we'd sat there about an hour and we still hadn't been seated. And so we, uh, we just decided to go home. So it really doesn't matter what time we let out, uh, you're not going to get a seat anywhere unless it's Golden Corral. So, um, but this morning in Joshua chapter 7, I hope, I, I don't think we will be long. Um, but you never know how these things go. I plan for 15 minutes, and we go 50. I plan for 50, and I don't have anything to say. So, uh, Joshua chapter 7, verse 16 this morning. Uh, many of you, no doubt, will be very familiar with the passage that we're going to be preaching out of, but I, I do believe it's a very powerful passage, and I hope that somehow, in the course of this study, we will look at things and ideas that you've never, ever seen or heard taught on before. Joshua chapter 7, verse 16, the Bible says, So Joshua rose up early in the morning and brought Israel by their tribes. And the tribe of Judah was taken. And he brought the family of Judah, and he took the family of the Zarhites And he brought the family of the Zarahites man by man, and Zabdi was taken. And he brought his household man by man, and Achan the son of Camri the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah was taken. Now, aren't you glad that this morning I was the one that had to read that and you were not? Amen. Verse 19. And Joshua said unto Achan, my son, give, I pray thee, glory to the Lord God of Israel and make confession unto him and tell me now what thou hast done. Hide it not from me. And Achan answered Joshua and said, Indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and thus and thus have I done. When I saw among the spoils a goodly Babylonish garment and two hundred shekels of silver and a wedge of gold of fifty shekels weight, then I coveted them and took them, and behold, they are hid in the earth in the midst of my tent and the silver under it. So Joshua sent messengers, and they ran into the tent. Behold, it was hid in his tent, and the silver under it. And they took them out of the midst of the tent, and brought them unto Joshua, and unto all the children of Israel, and laid them out before the Lord. Right here in our passage, there is a lot going on. And I'd like to talk to you briefly about the context of what's taking place. You see, in Joshua chapter 1, that's Joshua becoming the leader of Israel. Moses has now passed off the scene, and God has promised Joshua that wherever he goes and whatever he does, God would be with him. Well, Joshua was the one that would bring the children of Israel into the promised land. And so that's what they're doing. Now they come against one of their very, very first big battles. Oh, it's that battle that we've heard so many times in Sunday school taught about. It's Jericho. And I've looked and I've studied the walls of Jericho, and and I taught the teenagers one time that it was not just one wall, but it was literally a retaining wall built upon another wall, and both walls could have two chariots race around them at the same time. These walls were impenetrable. They were giant. It seemed like there was no way this nation who was living on manna, dependent on God every day, could succeed and win this battle. The Bible tells us that because of the children of Israel, Jericho was shut up. Nobody went in. Nobody came out. And in in chapter number 6, God tells Joshua, Joshua, see, I have given Jericho into your hand. They're just waiting to be defeated. And so God lays out His plan on how He's going to defeat Jericho. Now we all know the plan, don't we? Joshua, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take the Ark of the Covenant, and I want you to get priests to carry the Ark of the Covenant. And I want you to get seven priests in front of them to blow ram's horns as they walk around, the, uh, 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 around Jericho. Not only are you going to do that, but you're going to have all the armed men... ...pass on before them and all the rest of the congregation behind the Ark of the Covenant. And as you walk around uh, 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 Jericho, six days, you're going to do it one lap every day for six days. But on the seventh day, Joshua, you're going to walk around seven times. And I was studying this last year. I would have hated to be a priest on the seventh day. Did you know that they did not just blow the horn once, but they had to blow it continually as they were walking... Have you ever tried doing physical exercise while you're walking or running? Seven laps around a huge city, and here's the priest. Bah, bah. That would be pretty exhausting. Well, that's what they do. Seven laps on the seventh day. And then Joshua tells all the congregation that they were not to say a word all the six days. And none of the six laps prior to the final lap, the thirteenth lap, And at the time of the 13th lap, Joshua instructs all the children of Israel to shout at the top of their lungs, and what do we know from the children's songs? And the walls came tumbling down. And man, it was God giving them a marvelous, marvelous victory. But you see, God instructed the children of Israel that they were not to spoil the city. In other words, they were not to go grab the gold or the silver or Anything that they desired, anything of value was to be sanctified unto God. It was to be placed into the temple of God so that it could be a memorandum or an honor of the victory he delivered them that day. But old greed stepped in. And greed was the one thing that lost the battle. Oh sure, they beat Jericho. Jericho. But here in just another chapter, we find them facing just an insignificant city, a city kind of like Joshua, just small, little bitty, and yet they lose. Greed will often lose you many victories. Let's have a word of prayer, and we'll get started this morning. Father, I pray today that you'd bless what we've read. I pray that you'd bless the sermon. Lord, I pray that you would open hearts, that they might be able to hear the message that you've laid on my heart, and that I'd be able to clearly convey what you have laid on my heart. Father, I pray that you do a great work in our presence, and it's in your Son's name I do ask and pray these things. Amen. I was recently reading a story of the folks that trap animals for zoos in Africa. Now, these animals are shipped to the United States, but they trap them in Africa. And they said that the most difficult animal that they had to catch was a ring-tailed monkey. Now that's kind of strange when you consider all the big cats in Africa and all the uh, uh, fast uh, 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 animals, kind of like impalas and all those types of things. One time I was preaching and I was talking about how the devil was going to get at you and I said, I've seen what the devil, uh, what lions do to the gazelles and the gazebos on the Discovery Channel, amen, so I know my animals, I'm pretty good at that. But uh, uh, So with all those elusive animals, they said that the most elusive to catch was the ring tailed monkey and so what these men who were hired to capture these animals had to do is they had to hire a tribe in the jungles of Africa to catch them because they were the only ones that knew how you see because they were such an elusive creature and because they were in the tops of the canopies and because the canopies were so thick they could not tranquilize the animals so these folks seemed to be much more successful Well, come to find out, as they began to study how these people caught these monkeys, they had a very ingenious idea, but it was a very simple idea. You see, in the forest, the favorite food of the ring-tailed monkey was a melon still on the vine. But not just the melon, but specifically the seeds in the melon. And so what these uh, uh, native tribes would do is, they would find a melon on the vine that they knew monkeys would be at, ...and they would carve one hole in the, in the melon. And the monkeys would find the melon with a hole in it. They would reach in to grab the seeds that they so desired... ...and they would close their fist as they tried to pull it out. For hours and hours and hours, that monkey would sit there and try and strain... ...and fight at that melon. But you see, his hand was too large to remove from the hole. It was so obstinate and so greedy that the men could walk right up and catch the monkey because he would never let go of those seeds. A lot of us will never know the freedom that God wants uh, wants us to enjoy until we just let it go. Many of us walk through life with this same idea, with the same clenched fist, but you know what I've noticed about a clenched fist? While it may be very difficult to withdraw things, it's also very difficult to deposit things. Oh, we need to lose our greed. Some of us are so greedy. This morning I want to talk to you about this simple thought. Three terrible side effects of what happens when we concede to greed. Greed is the logical result of the belief that there is no life after death. We grab what we can, while we can, however we can, and then hold on to it as hard as we can. God never wanted us to be greedy. In fact, the most powerful verse in all the Bible specifically references how God gave His only begotten Son. Oh, I believe this morning the first side effect to how we concede to greed is we ignore the warnings Look in chapter 6 of verse 17. Chapter 6 and verse 17, this is God directly telling Joshua the plan for how he's going to deliver Jericho into their hands. He says, Joshua, I've got it all figured out. You're not even going to have to do anything difficult. You're never going to have to throw a spear. You're never going to have to carry a battering ram. You're never going to have to shoot an arrow. Joshua, if you'll just listen to me, I'll do all the work. Verse 17, though, God gives a specific warning. And the city shall be accursed, even it and all are therein to the Lord. Only Rahab the harlot shall live, she and all that are with her in the house, because she hid the messengers that we sent. And ye, in any wise, keep yourselves from the accursed thing, lest ye make yourselves accursed when ye take of the accursed thing and make the camp of Israel a curse and trouble it. Now I'm noticing a lot of curse words. That was a funny little, y'all can giggle at that if y'all want. But I'm noticing that this seems like a pretty blatant verse, something that really ought to catch your attention if God is saying, if you do this, you're going to be cursed. If you do this, you're going to bring upon yourself and all the nation of Israel a curse. Verse 19, but all the silver and gold and vessels of brass and iron are consecrated unto the Lord. They shall come into the treasury of the Lord. You see, the specific instructions were given to Joshua. And Joshua was then to relay the message to all the nation of Israel that I'm going to give you the victory, but I don't want you to take any of the credit or the spoil. I want it all to be consecrated to me. You see, Achan walked in this day, and he saw the Babylonian garment, and he saw the wedge of gold, and he saw the pieces of silver. And to him, it was more important to have those items than it was to heed the warning of God. I want you to take your Bible to 1 Timothy chapter 6. You see, if you read the Bible, and if you study the Bible at all, You can see without a shadow of a doubt that God places a lot of emphasis on money. You see, the reason Jesus spoke about money matters is because money matters. Did you know that uh, Jesus talked about money more than he did heaven and hell combined? Did you know that 11 out of 39 parables reference and talk about money? Did you know one out of every seven verses in the Gospel of Luke talks about money? Money is very important, and it's not money. It's the fact that we're so greedy that we want money. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6 says this, But godliness with contentment is great gain. Amen. I don't know about you, but I want to be a godly man. And I hope that you want to be a godly man or a godly woman. But I also want to be a man who's content. And if the Bible instructs me that I can be godly and content, I will have found something that very few people will have found. The Bible goes on to say, For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us therewith be content. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil. Which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith. Now notice they have not fallen from the faith. They've just gotten wrong. They've just erred. They've erred from the faith. And notice this. When you covet money, when you desire money, when you're greedy for money and great gain, and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. You know one of the rarest people that you can find on this earth? A happy rich man. It is easier to find a poor man who's living under a bridge who is content and happy than it is to find a rich man who's truly happy. The Bible says as you become greedy and you become uh, covetous over everything, one thing that you have to deal with is sorrow because it will be brought upon you by yourself. I'm so sad of people who can't hear the warnings of God. As God says, we should not live to work, but we ought to work to live. We should not seek money. We should not seek gain. We were not brought into this world with anything, and it's certain we can take nothing out. I'm puzzled at Christians who cannot hear the warnings of God. Recently becoming a father... Uh, My daughter's beginning to get a lot of uh, personality, she's beginning to mature, she is able to kind of communicate with us, but it's very clear she understands as we communicate with her. Now, in our house we have several items that maybe are not the most safe, we have uh, like hunting arrows strung out everywhere, shotguns leaned against every wall, so, you know, there's a lot of no-nos, that was a joke, we literally don't have broadhead arrows everywhere, Although she did find some yesterday, unfortunately. But we have, you know, just like everyone, we have the plugs in the wall and we have those little safety plugs in, in the covers. But, um, you know, we still want to make sure that we're teaching our daughter that that in general is an unsafe thing because not every outlet has a cover on it. So as she goes over to those outlets, she will begin to touch them and play with them and we'll... She'll try pulling the covers out of the outlets, and we'll say, Caitlin, no. And she'll look at us. And she understands everything that I'm saying, and she'll put her hand back up to that socket. And I'll say, Caitlin, no. And she'll look at me and put her hand back up to that socket. Well, now I'm, I'm getting more aggressive with my tone. Now I'm, you know, that's obviously two warnings and then you just escalate to uh, the Hulk. That's basically my method of parenting. But I'll say, Caitlin, no. Now the third time, if she's still doing it, now I have to get up, right? It's like, Caitlin, I was content watching my hunting show with my sweet tea, but now I have to parent, thank you. But uh, so on that third time, man, I have to get up. And I'll say, Caitlin, no. And I'll walk over to her. And I've noticed her reaction is much more severe than it was before. She'll. And as soon as I sit down, what does she do again? Reaches her hand back up. And this is where I have to spare the rod and let mama do it. I sit there and I tell her, Caitlin, that's not good for you. Caitlin, I don't want you you there. That's dangerous. Caitlin, don't mess with that. That's going to hurt you. And time and time again as you read the Word of God, you would be an absolute fool if you did not see God's warnings. He says, child, don't do that. Child, don't don't seek great gain. Child, be content with such things as you have. Child, do not... Consider the lilies. Consider the ravens. Child, don't worry about the things of tomorrow. And yet, like an obstinate child, so often we sit there and disregard our God's warnings and seek temporal gain. What a shame it is we ignore the warnings of our God. I want you to secondly notice this. We impact our witness. Now Joshua chapter six verse twenty one. I want you to notice this, and I want you to give me a little liberty here. Uh, in verse twenty one, the Bible says, "And they utterly destroyed all that was in the city, both man and woman, young and old, and ox and sheep and ass, with the edge of the sword." But Joshua had said unto the men that the two men that spied out the country, "Go into the harlot's house." And bring out thence the woman and all that she hath, as, as ye swear unto her. And the young men that were spies went in and brought out, unto, uh, brought out Rahab and her father and her mother and her brethren and all that she had. And they were brought out all her kindred and left them without the camp of Israel. And they burnt the city with fire and all that was therein, only the silver and the gold and the vessels of brass and of iron, they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. And Joshua saved Rahab the harlot alive, and her father's household, and all that she had. And she dwelleth in Israel, even unto this day, because she hid the messengers which Joshua sent to spy out. Jericho. Now, if you will give me a little leeway here, would you agree with me that Rahab is very new to this whole God of Israel thing? If you study the Bible... Basically, the reason that Rahab was willing to hide the the spies is she knew that God had already delivered Jericho into the nation of Israel's hand. She said, I know that your God has done many great victories before, before, and, and I know he's going to give you this city. And essentially, she offers her help because she knows her city is already defeated because their God is obviously much more powerful than any God she had ever known before. And so what we're told is, because of her willingness to hide the spies, they save Rahab. Now, Rahab and her family live in the nation of Israel from that point on. But will you agree with me that she is still very unfamiliar with this God of Israel? So the very first thing that happens in her relationship with this new God is someone betrays him for money. I mean, this God who could defeat Jericho, this God who gave them the victory without even raising a knife or a spear or a sword, this God who did this great work, and yet Rahab looks at this man named Achan and says, you betrayed that God for money? For a garment? Now, We all know witnessing is as important to the Christian life as reading your Bible, as a relationship with Christ. It is just as much instructed to us, and the burden is placed upon us to spread the gospel and to spread the news of our Savior as it is to tithe, as it is to do very fundamental things in the faith. It is our duty and obligation to spread the news of Christ. But you see, we're not only to spread the news We're to live it out inside and outside of church. We have new members coming here all the time. Some folks who have just gotten saved, brand new to the faith. Some transplants from other denominations, from Catholicism and from Pentecostal, and we have transplants. Man, they're brand new to this type of worship. And they view us And I wonder what lessons we're teaching them. I believe that Rahab could have learned two lessons from what Achan did. The first lesson she could have learned is greed is more possessive than obedience. Greed is more possessive than obedience. Look in verse 25 of chapter 6. And Joshua saved Rahab the harlot alive, and her father's household, and all that she had, and she dwelleth in Israel... Even unto this day, is, uh, Rahab is brand new, and, and and Rahab is brand new, and she knows what God had told them to sanctify all that was given, uh, that was taken from Jericho. She knows this, and yet Achan was willing to betray God for money. And the first lesson she learns is, well, obeying God is obviously not that important. I mean, if God simply asked for them to deliver Him items that He delivered them, if that was such a simple task and they couldn't do that, well, it's obvious to me that greed is more important than obedience. Now, I don't know what you believe about the tithe, but I believe you ought to study it. I believe you ought not take my word for it, why we tithe and why we give the amount that we give. I don't believe that it's... My, uh, my obligation to teach, it is my obligation, but you don't have to just take my word for it. You have a Bible in front of you and have every opportunity to study the word of God and see what it says about that. But if you do study, I believe that the Bible's clear we're to give a tenth. That is set apart for the Lord, very similar to how this was set apart from the Lord before they even won the battle. It was set apart to the Lord. And I wonder if a brand new member were to come in fresh to the faith, just being saved, if they were to look at your giving record, would they see somebody who's truly committed? Would they see someone who is truly obeying, or would they see that greed is more possessive than obedience? Secondly, I want you to notice this. Greed is more persuasive than compassion. Now, this is a shame. Verse 21, this is what God's instructions were, and I'm by no means second-guessing God, but verse 21, the Bible says, And they utterly destroyed all that was in the city, both man and woman, young and old, and ox and sheep and ass with the edge of the sword. So God's instructions were to destroy everything in Jericho. And to take all the gold and the silver and the iron and and, and give it to God. And as Achan carried out his task, it was not the fact that he was having to thrust his sword into the sides of small children that got him. It was money. He's looking at young children and he's looking at women. And like I said, I'm not second-guessing God here. That was God's instructions. But it was more difficult for Achan to say, no, I'm not taking that gold, than it was for him to kill people. Does that not catch you off guard? Does that not strike a chord with you that it was easier for uh, Achan to show absolutely no mercy and no compassion on people, and yet money was the thing that tripped him up? Every once in a while, I think we get so possessive of our own assets that we would not even be willing to let any of it go, even if we knew our brother was absolutely in need of something. Yep. We have no compassion for our brother. The Bible says, as you have opportunity to do good do good unto them, especially of those that are of the household of faith. Amen. The Bible says that God will use men to give unto your bosom. So you can be a tool that God can allow to bless somebody else. But so often, like Achan, instead of showing compassion, and I'm not saying he should have, I'm just saying it was more easy for him to kill someone than it was for him to not have money. Did you know that a poll taken says that 13% of people in America would kill someone for $10 million? What a shame it is when money has our heart more than compassion for our brother. One day an old man who was very unhappy but very wealthy, almost an Ebenezer Scrooge type, went to his pastor knowing that he did not have life figured out. He said, Pastor, what am I missing? The pastor walked him over to a window on a balcony and overlooked the city, the courtyard, and he said, What do you see outside this window? And the old man who was pretty wealthy said, I see people, I see men and women and children going about their daily lives. The pastor then escorted the man over to a, a mirror that was placed upon the wall, and he said, now what do you see? The man says, well, I see myself. The pastor said, did you know that the only difference between the two items you just looked through is there's a thin piece of silver placed inside the glass of one? When silver was placed in the glass, it became more difficult to see others and you could only see yourself. I'm not saying that we ought to be people who just constantly hand money out to people who are not working or are not trying to live uh, within their budgetary means. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is allow God to use you in a way that maybe He has never used you before. And walk up to somebody and try being a blessing to them. I'm not asking for your handout to me. Please don't mistake that. I'm saying God can use men to help other men. I just believe sometimes we get so caught up with our clenched fists that it's harder for us to let go of this than it is to show love and compassion to somebody who really needs a, a, a boost. Somebody who needs a little love and compassion. What a shame it is when we impact our witness. Thirdly, and we're done... The third side effect to conceding to greed is we invite in waste. Look back in chapter 7, verse 21. We'll, we'll start reading in verse 20 so we can understand what's going on. Achan is now confessing what he has done. Joshua has called him on the floor to answer for what he had done. and The Bible says in verse 20 of chapter 7, And Achan answered Joshua... And said, Indeed I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and thus and thus have I done. When I saw among the spoils a goodly Babylonish garment, and two hundred shekels of silver, and a wedge of gold of fifty shekels weight, then I coveted them, and took them. Now what did he do with them? Because that's the question. What was he willing to betray his God's warnings for, So that he could have, so that he could gain. What what was his goal? Look. And behold, they are hid in the earth, in the midst of my tent, and the silver under it. So his grand plan was to get the money and bury the money. Oh, he wasn't even going to use it felt so guilty about what he had done he could not even use it he simply buried it you know what the shame of it is he didn't get any use out of it and neither did God because every bit of this money every bit of the iron every bit of the gold silver all the good things were to be dedicated unto the Lord it was saying God you've done such a great thing for us we give you what you've asked for And yet, not even God received any glory from this. It was burnt. I'll tell you what. The people that I've known in my life who have sought money, they usually kill themselves getting their wealth and then spend their wealth trying to save their health. The people that I've known that have done this, they hoard this money, they, they save these bank accounts, and then they don't even get to use it at the end of their life. And then they tear their family apart as their family fights over it. And their family won't even speak to one another because one got the tool set and one got the tractor, but the other one wanted the tractor and the other one wanted the tool set. That's the nature of this, and that's God's warning is when you disobey God in this matter of greediness, you're not gaining anything, you're losing it. Oh, there's nothing to gain when you disobey your God. Ecclesiastes 5, verse 10, this comes from Solomon. The wisest man in all the world says, He that loveth silver shall not be satisfied. And he should know he had plenty of it. Nor he that loveth abundance with increase. You see, there is no contentment. People with an average annual uh, income of $500,000 or less were polled to see what they thought true wealth was. They said true wealth is $1 million to $5 million. The funny thing is that when those that were $1 million to $5 million of an income, they said that it was more than what they were making. There is no contentment when all you're worried about is getting. The Bible warns us this time and time again. Proverbs 11 verse 24. There is that scattereth and yet increaseth. And there is that withholdeth withholdeth more than his meat, but it tendeth to poverty. The Bible is very clear. When you give out, God will give in. But when you hold hold in, God will not allow it to go out. It's a shame when we feel like we've got this thing figured out, and really all we do is we're just greedy little children. You know what I've noticed? The very first thing that you have to teach your child is to share. Well, potty training's a big one as well, but we're working on that one with Amy. <laughs> that was a low blow. I don't even know why I said that. I just felt like I needed to laugh. I'm sorry, honey. So, the other day, Amy and Ben got together, and or Amy and Ben, Caitlin and Ben were were playing together, and Ben is quite a bit more mature. He understands things. He he he's better at you know moving around and and he has more advanced toys and and so Caitlin and Ben were playing with one another and Ben had received this train set for Christmas inside this train set were little pieces little uh, milk jugs and cartons so that you could carry them it was it was a really cool little toy and Ben loved it well, Caitlin loved stealing the things out of Ben's train and just putting them in her car she had gotten for Christmas. And if Ben turned his head for any time at all, uh, Caitlin would have three or four of his train sections in her car. I was like, a girl, Caitlin, take what you can get, you know. Brother Craig, he's a nurse, he makes more money than me and Amy, let's go, Caitlin, steal everything you can. And it was so funny because every time Ben would see that Caitlin had stolen some of these items, Ben would go over and angrily, like stomping and angrily, would grab the items that she had taken and placed in her car, rip them out of her car, and then go fix his train back. One time, Grandma thought it would be a good idea to try and teach Ben to share. And Caitlin stole one of the carts, and right before Ben reached for it, Granna said, "No, Ben, share." And Ben put his arms to his side, and looked at Caitlin, and was like dancing in place because he had the command of Grana telling him to go one way, and the draw of that greed going the other way. That's my toy, Caitlin. But Grana said, "But that's my toy, Caitlin." Grana said. And it was hysterical because Caitlin then, you know, she's not, she doesn't know what she's doing, so she then begins to beat the toy against the table because that's what kids do. A nice toy, they beat it against the table. That's the noise it was designed to make. And so Ben is not only now torn that this toy is uh, being stolen, but now it's being misused and abused. So Ben is looking at Caitlin going, what are you doing? Don't you know it's supposed to roll? It's not ever meant to just collide into things, Caitlin. And so granite, Ben, you share. And Ben's, no, what do we do? And it was the most difficult lesson teaching Ben to share. Eventually Caitlin just lost interest and Ben got it back and fixed his train and then hid it from her. So uh, he understands life a lot better than Caitlin does at this point. But the very first lesson that you have to teach children is share. Because if you don't, You know what the nursery looks like? A bunch of piles of toys that aren't being played with. People are just going from one pile to grab that toy and putting it in their pile. Greed is such a fundamental thing. It's primal. It's in our very nature. And yet it is not in the nature of Christ. Matthew chapter 25 teaches us the story of the unjust steward. It is a good master goes away for some time and he leaves his five talents with one servant. And he leaves two talents with another servant. And he leaves one talent with another servant. And he expects these servants to be faithful with the money that he gives them. The steward with five talents goes and invests those talents and receives five more. So he has a total of ten talents. The steward who was given two talents goes and is diligent with the master's money and invests that money, and he receives two more talents, so he has four talents. But the steward who receives one goes and buries it in the earth, very similar to what Achan did. The master comes back and sees that the one, had, the, the, the person who had been given ten talents, he praises him, says, you have been faithful over a little, I will make thee ruler over much. Enter thou into the joy of thy uh, uh, kingdom. That he was so excited that he had done what he had asked him to do. Same thing with the man who had gained two talents. You have done, you've been faithful in just a little. I will make thee ruler over much. But then he comes to the one talent. Comes to the man who buried his talent in the earth. And this is the lesson for you today. As the master sees what he has done, he takes that talent away from him... And not only does he not to get to, does he not get to use the talent, but neither does the master. He gives it to the one who had gained 10. You see, when we're greedy, we don't glorify ourselves or the master. Our money will end up in a flat tire somewhere. Our money will end up in a, a car breakdown or, or something unexpected, but it's not going to be bring glory to you or your children or the Father. What a shame it is. Many of you know my family. Basically, our one thing that we do together is smoke and drink. Um, The one thing that we do as a family, and we enjoy uh, together, and and we spend every Thanksgiving together doing this, we go out to the ranch, and we, we enjoy hunting. But honestly, I don't know if you can call what we do hunting. We really just sit in stands and watch movies on our phones, Um, but there's very little killing, so it's a very uh, ethical style of hunting, Uh, so uh, it's really fun.